The Knicks could not keep the magic going from Friday. Gavin lose 133 to 118 to the Boston Celtics at home. What are we getting into today? Well, they gave up a record 27 threes, so we, we have to talk about that. But also, a big night for the Knicks' big three. Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, easily their best offensive game as a trio. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about some more highlights from Obi Toppin, Isaiah Hartenstein gutting out a big-time effort, and so much more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day and i think we see willis coming out there he comes right now Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. And we want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you making us a part of your daily routine. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor in chief of Knicks Site, The Strickland, which you can find at the strict.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster, favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And this is Locked On Knicks, where we are talking about Knicks-Celtics over the weekend. Gavin, I had the pleasure, displeasure of seeing this one in person. Pleasure of taking it in with, with our good friend from across the pond, uh, Jack Huntley, who's over from uh, Ireland at the moment. But uh, maybe the displeasure of seeing me... <laughs> The huge amount of threes the Knicks gave up. A team record 27 three-pointers for the Celtics, which is impressive because they have a lot of good three-point shooters on that team. So, you know, the Knicks, good job, guys. You really, really did a good job leaving leaving them wide open enough to achieve that that nice little team record. Uh, Gavin, I thought maybe it would be better to start on a positive note, though, <laughs> because the negatives, I mean, they were pretty big with that three-point defense. But I did think... This was the best R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, and Jalen Brunson game as a trio that we've seen since they've been on the Knicks. Uh, R.J. Barrett, 27 points, four boards, four assists, shot nine of 15, three of five from three. Very importantly, six of six from the free throw line. I think this has been a great development to start this year. Julius Randle, likewise, 29 points, nine rebounds, two assists, shot 10 of 19, uh, three of seven from three, and also six of six from the free throw line. And then Brunson, 22 points, 10 assists, and three boards. Shot 10 of 17 and two of two from the free throw line. So that's a combined 14 of 14 from the free throw line for that trio. And that's I think that's a pretty big deal considering how much of a bugaboo uh, uh, free throw shooting has been for the Knicks the last few years. So I'll throw it to you first, uh, whoever you want to highlight first out of those three. But I, I thought it was a great game from the trio. Yeah, it, it sounds weird uh, when you ask that question to immediately mention a fourth name, but I, I think Isaiah Hartenstein is, is honestly the, the biggest name in this conversation. Uh, not playing with Mitchell Robinson, I, I don't think it was a coincidence that Mitch misses his first full game of the season and those three immediately have their best offensive performances of the season. I, I mean, Hartenstein just like we all saw in the fourth quarter that great backdoor cut that Julius Randle had after the entry pass from RJ. 
Julius doesn't even make that cut if Mitchell Robinson is in, is in the game because there probably isn't enough spacing to do it. And he knows Mitch is never going to throw that pass. And I, I think that was just emblematic of, of the different level of flow that they could play with, with uh, Hartenstein out there. Granted, you flip it the other way. I think the reason they gave up so many threes is because they didn't really trust Hartenstein to protect the rim. And everyone was playing a, a little bit closer to the paint with like half a foot in the paint. Um, and in turn, they gave up a whole bunch of wide open threes. The other factor was hard miscommunication, but you asked for positive. So I'll start positive. Um, uh, to answer your question in actuality, out of those three, Jalen Brunson is the one that stood out the most to me. He took over this game in the second quarter on, on, on a court with Jason Tatum, who I, for my money, one of the six or seven best guys in the league at this point, Jalen Brown, who I think is, is certainly made a strong case for being a top 15 player in the NBA. Uh, Jalen Brunson for, for 12 minutes, uh, transcending halves was, was, was the best guy out there. And, and he, he was, he was doing some damage on really good defenders. He absolutely toasted Jalen Brown with, with an in and out and transition that left Brown kind of gasping for air, um, had a reverse spin to ditch Jason Tatum. And then as RJ was cutting down the lane, he threw him like a little no look slip pass. It was, it was kind of Steve Nash esque, ironically. Um, um, and then had another one where the Celtics were just kind of, this was near the end of the first half. The Celtics were just sort of sleeping and he hit, uh, he drove into the lane, hit Cam Reddish on a kick out pass to RJ for three. That was just good basketball. It wasn't all Brunson had another turnaround fadeaway to end the second quarter. Those, those first three plays were back to back to back. And then to open this third quarter, excuse me, running lefty hook um, rebound. And then in one motion, a 55 foot bounce pass on the run to a cutting Julius Randall. And then had back-to-back, one on, on Jalen Brown, one on Jason Tatum, double crossovers into step-back long twos. So I just say that, to, all of that to say, the bag is so deep for Jalen Brunson, Alex. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it was, taking it in in person was like a different experience. Like, it was it was wild watching him go to work. Like, it, we had pretty pretty decent seats to see at one point, sort of like the the back view, like the NBA 2K view of, you know, the the Knicks going to work there on offense and really seeing Brunson and just everything that goes into his offensive repertoire is just crazy. Like, there's just so many little movements of the head, the body, the, you know, his, his handle, uh, the pivots, the everything. Like, he does so much work to just generate one bucket, but it's just so gorgeous to look at. And he just kept, keeps doing it over and over and over again. It's really, like, for anyone that's thinking about going to a game in person this year or whatever, or maybe he's on the fence, like, because of price or whatever, like, it's definitely worth it to go one time this year just to get to see Brunson do his thing because, like, it hits a little different. Like, watching it, if you could get a different angle and just seeing how much he does out there it was it was crazy so uh super enjoyed watching him and and just that like you said that takeover it was different you know he was he was the lowest scoring out of the three guys uh out of like the Knicks like quote-unquote big three but his I think his presence was the most felt because of him taking over when the Knicks really needed that uh when you know they were from a very early stage of this game bleeding points from three you know, on the other end, they needed someone to come out there and just be like, I'm going to go tit for tat with you and like match on the other end. And Brunson was the one who, who was doing that. And he's been the guy who's kind of consistently done that for the Knicks throughout this year so far, which is what we've talked about with him being the guy that, 
you can rely on to just get a bucket when you need one. Uh, he did that, a lot of that in the Celtics game, you know, of just being like, all right, well, the momentum is about to shift. So let me just go do something nice on the other end real quick. And like, let me score like, I don't know if he actually did, but it felt like at one point he scored like, like 16 straight points for the Knicks or something. <laughs> like it just, it had that feeling, or at least he generated that many, you know, like he might've gotten a couple of, a couple of his assists mixed in there too, but he just went on a total takeover at, at one point and it was beautiful to watch. Uh, I will say though, on offense, I thought that Julius and RJ finally kind of put it together too. And a lot of it was just the shots going down, you know, like I don't, I think that we're kind of in agreement, like other than maybe a little bit looking like he's forcing it. Like, I don't think RJ's process has been that bad to start this year. I think that he's mostly been getting good looks and like, they just weren't going in, you know, he's taking threes and clearly overthinking it and not shooting in rhythm. And that was, you know, detrimentally affecting him to start the year. And, and now these last few games, I think he's looking quite a bit better in that regard, but also just driving too. Um, you know, his, his driving has gotten a lot better. He's looking a lot more comfortable in that respect, like getting all the way to the rim, finishing through contact. And I was, I was even saying this to Jack while we we're sitting there, I was like, you know, it, he's really, done a nice job like getting all the way in there and then like absorbing contact and making it and I think it's kind of unfortunate it seems like sometimes like he's not going to get a call unless he makes it um which is more of a refereeing thing than an RJ thing but it's it's been pretty good so far I'll just give a quick stat our buddy uh Schwin Schwinny Poo on Twitter had pulled this stat here uh, RJ's last five games, he's right now at 12.4 drives per game, 64.3% uh, on those drives on 5.6 field goals attempted per game and has a 35.5 pass percentage out of those two. So he's, he seems to be making the right decisions. He's getting what he wants, getting to the rim and then making the most of it. So I, I, I really like that part of his game in this one as well. Yeah, I thought his ability to just power through mismatches like he, he had a couple of times where he had Sam Hauser on him and I think RJ I mean, we, we always talk about this but he's at his best when he doesn't overcomplicate it he, he really kind of just Hauser up and down and said yeah that, that guy can't hold me one dribble euro bump into him lay up and 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 it, it, it was that simple um I have some more thoughts on his night because I thought there were a lot of good things offensively and some iffy stuff defensively but, Alex, before uh, I continue with that, I want to tell everyone a little bit about one of our favorites here at Locked On Knicks, and that is prize picks tonight when the New York Knicks take on the Minnesota Timberwolves. I am going to take R.J. Barrett to score more than 20 points. I'm going to take Jalen Brunson to have more than seven and a half assists. I am going to take Julius Randle to have over four turnovers. And I'm going to take uh, Cam Reddish over one and a half threes. Um, how does it work? So all you have to do is pick two to five players. And if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times on any money entry. I'm, I'm just going to read that one more time. It's pretty crazy. 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. You don't have to beat the experts. It's just you versus the projections available. So prize picks offers projections on any sport that you can watch. This includes NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, soccer, WNBA, 
esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, Euro, basketball, cricket, and somehow more. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy, safe, and fast withdrawals. And it's currently operational over 30 states and most importantly, Canada. So all you have to do is download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, price picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, price picks will give you $50. So don't forget to enter promo code locked on to sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. All right. Uh, thank you for joining us back on Locked On Knicks. And we wanted to um, remind you for your second listen today, you can check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. And with that, we return on Locked On Knicks. And Alex, I want to want to finish the discourse on, on R.J. Barrett because I, I thought offensively, this was, um, again, back-to-back performances that were well in contention for his best on the season. I saw another stat that Schwinn pulled that, that just showed RJ's numbers since the first game of the season. And they, they reflect someone who has made a leap in terms of his efficiency around the basket, shooting 47% from the field this year since the first game of the season, despite just hitting 30% of his threes. He has been very, very effective inside the arc. And, and, and to me, it's, it's all about him being the aggressor and, and being the one to initiate contact. I mentioned him terrorizing Hauser with that Eurostep. He did the same thing on Jalen Brunson, or not Jalen Brunson, on, on Jalen Brown in this game. Um, and, and then, and, and like once he got a rhythm going around the rim, I really think that improves his rhythm and confidence from behind the arc had back to back threes to end the half drew a bang from Mike Breen when he gave the Knicks the lead uh, to end the first half. Um, after being down by as many as 14. Um, also, I think this was the first time all year we, we saw him really start trying mid-range stuff. And, and again, it's, it's all it's all confidence. He had in the fourth quarter, he got to the middle of the floor, reverse pivot, fade away. That, that was a pet move of his the second half of last year when he really got going. Um, and he hasn't gone to it a lot this year. Again, there's some some real issues defensively. He was he was one of the main culprits in, in the miscommunications of this game. Um, but Overall, um, an excellent performance for R.J. Barrett. Yeah, I'm with you. But I think, unfortunately, we have to get to the the not-so-fun part of this game, which was the three-point defense and overall defensive ex- execution. Just horrendous stuff. Uh, again, a, a lot of this is through the lens of, of taking in the game with Jack, and we were sitting there. And from the very first attempt by Sam Hauser, he was like, no, you can't leave him open. Like, he can shoot. And lo and behold, the Knicks left him open quite a bit. Like, Steve Novak reincarnate, I guess. That was basically what his his role was in this game. Uh, Just to sit in the corner, receive feeds for wide open corner threes all game, and just hit. What felt like a hundred of them allegedly was only five. I refuse to believe that it was only that many because it just, it was, he took the air out of the building every single time. Sam Hauser ends with 17 points. I'm going to go through all these really just awful statistics real quick. Sam Hauser, 17 points in 21 minutes. He shot five of eight from three. Uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown combined to shoot 12 of 24 from three. 
the Celtics overall somehow shot even better than just Tatum and Brown, which is disgusting, and shot 27 of 51 from three, good for 52.1% overall. Uh, Gavin, the issues were like there was a multitude. I mean, there was just so many instances where the Knicks screwed up coverages, where the Celtics, I mean, to be fair, I guess to the Knicks, the Celtics were throwing like double screens at them and stuff, but the Knicks are an NBA defense allegedly coached by one of the greatest defensive minds in the game. Like they should have answers for certain situations of modern NBA offenses. And I don't think that the Celtics were like reinventing the wheel here or anything and doing anything that crazy. It's just that the Knicks weren't prepared to play a perimeter based defense in this game. Like they're so accustomed to, uh, you know, playing drop and just like keeping other teams away from the rim that they were like, I, I think again, they were, you know, maybe it was at a certain, so I think early on it was them doing their usual thing of playing the averages. I think as the game went on, guys should have adjusted and started playing things different, but instead were doing it like they would normally do it, you know, and, and also being kind of lazy with their switches and, and getting out on shooters. But like, there was just so many times where like Jalen Brunson and someone would be, you know, working a pick together. And if it wasn't just a straight pick and roll, if it was like a pick and pop, they had no idea what to do. And both guys were kind of just left stranded. And then whoever was running it would end up with a wide open three or would kick it out to a wide open three-point shooter. There was plenty of times, like one that really stood out to me was, I think it was Brunson and Hartenstein together at the top. Uh, and I think that Tatum was running the pick and roll, if I'm not mistaken at that point, or, or Tatum got the switch generated, whatever the case was. All I know is Tatum ends up at the top of the three-point line. Hartenstein was supposed to have switched on to him. And then Hartenstein starts dropping back off of him and pointing for, like, Julius, who's one man over from him to, like, get up on Tatum, who's just standing there lining up a three. And then Tatum lines up a three and cans it because, of course, he did. I just – I don't know. It was – for as great as this game was on offense from, you know, the – three big guys on the Knicks that you want to see good offense from. It was, I think to both our estimation, equally, if not more bad on defense by like a pretty wide margin. Like this was just honestly one of the more pathetic games the Knicks have put forward on defense in the entire Tibbs era of the last three years, I think. Yeah. I You, you want to look at this game on some level and say, look, it's the defending Eastern conference champs. They had the best night shooting from three in in in, in the history of, of arguably painful to say this, but arguably the greatest NBA franchise ever. Um, of course, you're going to lose that game. That's OK. That's not a bad loss, except it totally makes sense that they hit 27 threes. Right. It, it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't weird. They, they maybe should have hit more. There were quite a few that went halfway down and out. Um, to me, the, the issues were, were, were twofold. Um, I already I already noted it, but worth reiterating, I, I think Tibbs the instructions as best as I could tell watching this coming into the game were always have a foot in the paint because if not, Isaiah is going to foul out and then we're screwed. Um, we, he needs, he needs all the help in the world possible at the rim. We, we just do not have the size um, without Mitchell Robinson or the shot blocking 
to provide any kind of like stopgap to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And if you're going to play like that, you're going to give up some open threes inevitably, right? But you better be on point to, to what you were saying, Alex, in, in all your switches and all your communications in, in all, in all your scramble situations when someone comes off and, and, and someone needs to pop out. Um, and the Knicks were the furthest thing from that. And I can't say it's a surprise because it's been an issue all season and, and credit uh, Joe Missoula with the Celtics because he, he probably watched the film and, and quite literally was, was, was probably drooling and, and saying, Oh my God, we are going to make 43s tonight. This is, this is just going to be a bloodbath. So I can, I'll just run through some of the plays quickly. Because, all right, he, here was one that really grinded my gears. Was both RJ Barrett and Julius Randle did this. They doubled off of Jalen Brown for Mar- for to stop a Marcus Smart post up, not on Emmanuel quickly, but on Cam Reddish. Look, Smart is a is a pretty good post player for a guard. If he wants to post up Cam Reddish and he he made a nice fadeaway later in the game when the Knicks didn't double, let him do it. Don't let Jalen Brown hit a wide open three. Um, I, I saw the exact same play you did where Brunson was just pointing at Randall to switch on the smart and, 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 and well, I guess it was a different one. It was a smart, but Randall didn't notice ended up being a wide open three. Um, there was another one where there was a double screen and Brunson just did. He just died on it. He didn't do anything. Um, there was one where RJ miscommunicated with iHeart and iHeart ended up on Tatum and, and Tatum just put a three right in his eye. Um, another one from Evan Fournier where there was no communication between him and IQ. I think they were both guarding. Grant Williams and 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 just both of them decide to stay there. And Sam Hauser had already hit four threes at this point, and, and that was his fifth. That was easy. Uh, Cam Reddish, who by and large had a really good defensive game, and we, we can talk about that in the third segment. But both him and Randall went with Jalen Brown on his screen, and again gave up a wide open three pointer to Hauser. So I, I I have like four more of those. I, I can keep on going, but the point is the Knicks have no idea what they're supposed to do on screens. And Benji hinted at this when he was on. I almost wonder if it would be better for them to simplify and either and, and, and for Tibbs to just say, all right, either you're switching everything or you're not switching anything. And you can vary that up based on the night, based on the team, based on the quarter. But if they had some kind of universal plan and look, I get that that's too simplistic to work against most NBA teams. But whatever Tibbs is telling them to do right now, clearly no one is on the same page and they are getting torched because of it. Yeah, I think there just needs to be like. A, a, a buzzword that Tibbs can say to be like, okay, we're playing drop now. Okay. We're playing switch now. Like that's too, I'm not going to say that they're basic. Like obviously there are tons of nuances to an NBA defense, but like switching, like playing switch, everything is pretty much like the most basic. And yet also in many ways, most effective defense you could play at certain times. Like if they just decided to go to switch everything this game, they probably would have prevented a lot more of those threes. Like oh, yeah, giving up twos instead of threes. Yeah, or giving up twos instead of threes, which Tibbs views as like the, the ultimate cardinal sin is like, oh, we got to protect the paint. And it's like, yeah, well, the paint doesn't matter when they're, you know, hitting their 25th three against you for the game. You know, it's like maybe switch the style up a little bit. And the, the thing that I think most annoys me is like, and we talk about this a little bit more in the next segment that he did go back to the, the Obi and Randall, you know, front court alignment again, which made a lot of sense, but then they weren't really playing any different when they had that lineup out there. And like, it's like, that's the time to say, okay, like, you know, and maybe you remove Evan Fournier from this equation as the guy who's like most likely to get burned of anybody on this defense. But like, you know, if, if you can get five competent defenders out there that can switch around, why not play switch for those minutes? And that gives you a different look. And 
you know, potentially can create more transition opportunities. Like if you have like, like RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, Obi, Randall, and Jalen Brunson out there, like Cam especially is great at generating, you know, those, those quick twitch steals that make, you know, transition opportunities for you. Like on a switch, he has good hands in switches, I think too, of, you know, knowing when to like reach in and, and swipe the ball when he's, you know, in that little, you know, kerfuffle of, of guys switching off of a screen or whatever, like he's had pretty good instincts there. So why not try something like that? You know, rather than just sticking with this same defense all the time, it just, you're right. It, it seems very unimaginative and I wish that they had a backup plan at all for nights like this, where, you know, if a team is shooting really hot from three, you have something that can stop them. But pretty much all that the Knicks do is just say, we're just going to play the averages. And unfortunately, the averages kind of go out the window because most of the time, like playing the averages is assuming that you're giving a good contest on a decent number of those shots. And so if you're just letting them shoot warm up jumpers all game from the corner, you're going to have a bad time. And that's, that's just the long and the short of it. Like, so something's got to change because teams clearly, I feel like this year and this early going of this season, I feel like more than ever teams have the book on the Knicks defense and they're exploiting it like crazy. And like the smart teams and the good teams that can like truly punish them are going to keep punishing them. Uh, and so that means basically anytime the Knicks face a team with like a winning record and a handful of shooters on it, they're going to be screwed this year. So they, they've got to really figure this out fast because otherwise, you know, I mean, maybe in a weird way, just playing playing drop all the time and not uh, not ever contesting threes. Maybe that gets you Victor Wembanyama or something. But that's that's the direction we're going to be looking in sooner than later if if the defense keeps going this way, because I really don't think I don't think they'll even continue playing like 500 ball if they're going to keep giving up this many threes and and looking the way that they have so far this year. Yeah, no argument for me. Uh, let's, let's take one final break, come back and and bounce around the rest of the team uh, because I have some thoughts on some lineup shifts, uh, what could benefit the Knicks, what could hurt the Knicks. Uh, we'll get into all that next on Locked On Knicks. All right, we are back on Locked On Knicks. Uh, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, third and final segment. So we, we've sufficiently covered the big three. Uh, I want to talk about Isaiah Hartenstein because I, I thought he was – fantastic um for a lot like there look there there were some some botch plays um he had despite having a ton of rebounds he had some some real issues on the glass like he had a play where he um just for no reason because there was someone on him tried a backside contest on Malcolm Brogdon when there was no chance that he would get to the ball and gave up just an automatic put back for Noah Vonley but he made up for it because he did so many good things on the defensive end like he, he came over on Jalen Brown um stripped him in a, in a help situation probably my favorite play of the game and Alex I, I, I kind of want to get your input like on what this was like in person because I would have gotten fired up he um the, the Knicks uh were fighting for an offensive rebound and ended up with Marcus Smart on the floor of the court and iHeart just dove on top of him ripped the ball out of his hand kicked it out to Brunson who then whipped the ball to Randall and Randall got an and one at the rim yeah that was a really fun play I mean it was that was on our side too when we were watching mm -hmm. it. So we got like a very good view. And I remember when the ball hit the deck, I was like, oh, that's that's disappointing. Cause it was off Julius like dribbling it off his leg, if I remember correctly. And then 
all of a sudden Hartenstein's just on the ground and uh, and then the ball just kind of like leaks out to Brunson. I was like, oh crap, like the Knicks have the ball again. And then uh and then Brunson whips it back into Randall. That was great. I mean, that was also great like situational awareness from Brunson to look in and be like, oh, Julius is wide open now because yeah. everybody else is on the ground. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was kind of like that. People saw highlights of that Jokic pass the other day where he just just whipped it past everyone. It was like it was like yeah. no one, no one thought as fast as as JB did. And, and then offensively for iHeart, um, I mean, just had some like he had that one-handed putback dunk in traffic, which was sick. Uh, he had um, the that great backdoor cut I referenced earlier, where RJ threw it into him and Julius just ducked in, and, and iHeart whipped it to him. Um, had, had a little like borderline turnaround, like push shot fadeaway um, in the fourth quarter. I, I I just thought he he filled in all the gaps, and I want to I want to propose something to you, Alex. That I, I assume you you will not be opposed to, because I feel like you suggested similar things in the past. I kind of think after watching the flow offensively with iHeart and Randall in this game, we should maybe with everyone healthy, not get another minute of Randall and Mitchell Robinson together all year. Um, I think whether it's like whoever you're starting or whoever's coming off the bench, it should be approximately like somewhere between um, I'll just, I'll just say 20 minutes for, for Mitch and OB 20 minutes for iHeart and iHeart and Randall and then you get eight minutes of Randall and Obi, and the numbers like back that up being the best option. Randall and Mitch on the year is a two-man combo, minus five point two three. Uh, Randall and Ihart on the year, minus one point nine five. Obi and Ihart minus two point two four. Uh, Obi and Mitch minus four point two three. Again, those numbers kind of suggest like, all right, just don't don't play Mitch. But I think Mitch is hurt by the the defensive impact of, of playing with Fournier. And I think if you just got like a longer sample size of Obi and Mitch minutes those would normalize to nearly even just because with OB shooting, I think those two make so much more sense than Randall and Mitch offensively. Um, and then, and then uh, Randall and I heart, I, I think ha- can make magic together on the offensive end. And we, we saw it tonight. Yeah. I reluctantly kind of agree with that. I don't want to, cause like I want it to work with Mitch and Julius, but there is definitely something to be said for the fact that like Julius definitely doesn't look to get, all the way in as much if there's more opposition there. And the only way to create less opposition there is if you have someone that can stretch things out a little bit instead of Mitch. And, you know, we've kind of seen it with RJ too, where if he gets into the paint, you know, it could be a little crowded with Mitch there. And I I don't know. I think sometimes it comes down to like the Knicks just don't get calls, which is unfortunate because I don't think that like every time that Mitch is around the hoop and one of the guys, you know, whether it's RJ or Julius meets two defenders there, I don't think they get defended cleanly every time. And I don't think they get nearly enough calls. And if they would start getting those calls, then maybe the Mitch arrangement becomes more viable, but they don't get a lot of calls because both those guys finish like tanks and they don't tend to do the flailing thing all that often. And as we've seen this year so far uh, in some Knicks games, it's been uh, very much rewarded to flail still in the NBA. And, you know, if you finish hard through contact, then you're you're not, you know, it's like, oh, well, he must not have gotten fouled because he's not like dying in the air. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's a big part of it. But the spacing obviously is better with Hart out there, even if he doesn't take a three. Like he didn't take a three in this game, but even just having him at the elbow – directing traffic creates stuff like Randall cuts and RJ cuts and um, you know, things of that nature that, and keeps that defender just that much further away from the hoop 
which helps, you know, that means that then they have to recover that much more to get all the way down to the hoop and defend that, uh, you know, at, at a full speed NBA play, that's, you know, you're basically in the clear then. So yeah, reluctantly, I mean, I would love to find a way where, where Mitch ends up playing more. I mean, I wonder if maybe the, the way that that ends up happening is if Julius eventually gets traded at some point and they clear the path for Obi to start, then I could see where it would be like, okay, well, you know, Mitch can play more now, but it, it, there is definitely some sort of disconnect between Randall and Mitch right down to the fact that even like Randall just doesn't have a great sense for looking for Mitch on lobs. Even like that's sort of what makes the, the RJ and Mitch pairing work is that they have great chemistry. So even if, you know, if they run like a quick pick and roll and RJ's getting towards the hoop, even if RJ's meeting extra opposition, he at least has great timing with being like, okay, time to just toss it up and let Mitch, you know, finish a, an alley-oop here. Randall and Mitch specifically don't have that. They just like, you've noted it a bunch of times. We've talked about it on here. Like he misses a wide open Mitch for lobs, like all the time. Um, so it's, yeah, it's definitely a, a change that I think uh, would be a good thing to start finding as many minutes as you can with Randall and Hartenstein together. Uh, I'll, I'll quickly give a shout out to Derek Rose, just a funny in-game story. He played 13 and a half minutes, uh, 10 points for 10 shooting. So kind of, kind of looked a little revitalized. And I remember he missed his first attempt or two and Jack and I were sitting there and I was like, man, he just really doesn't look right lately. Like things aren't looking good. And then he rattled off like six straight points in like a variety of ways. And uh, like he made a three and then he got inside on a layup, whatever, and looked pretty good. So I hope that Rose has turned the corner and is, and is back to being good. I do think that it's smart to keep him relegated to eight to 12 minutes this year uh, because that seems to be a real good sweet spot for keeping his energy up and and maximizing what he can bring to the floor right now. But I liked having a little a little uh, revitalized game from D Rose today. Yeah, I thought uh, he he was he was fantastic. I, I'm shocked at this point. Anytime he misses one of those pull up wing threes, they, it just feels like the most automatic shot in the game for the Knicks right now. Um, and he yeah, his his speed looked really good. I I really don't have a lot of concerns about him offensively. I think. He, he will, at least for this year, continue to be very much a plus offensive player. Defensively, that's a separate story. But a, a stat that really stood out to me that I saw over the weekend, Knicks Film School newsletter, check it out if you haven't. Uh, the Knicks are 19 points better per 100 possessions this year with Jalen Brunson on the floor offensively. Um, and to me, that it reflects a little on Derrick Rose, but it mostly reflects on Emmanuel quickly. And I feel like uh, I don't want to go too deep on this because we're, we're, we're running along as is. And, and that this is a full episode of content, but it's time we, we start having that conversation because I, I know um, I know I've probably consciously delayed it and with, with quickly being maybe my favorite player on the team. And someone we talked about it with Dallas. We talked about it with Aria, someone we really wanted to believe had star potential. And, and it's interesting because Obi, I would say is in direct contrast to this where what we saw from Obi, where he averaged those 27 points per game over the last six games of last season I think he's pretty much picked up from there. IQ was also epic 10 last season. He has not picked up from there. On the season, he's he's putting up just 7.9 points per game, shooting 34.8% from the field, 28.6% from three. Uh, obviously, those efficiency numbers are disgusting. And for a guy who is supposed to be an elite shooter, uh, we now have, I mean, going back to the start of last season, like a long sample size of him just being a, a pretty good to 
almost average one. And I don't want to say average just because the attempts he takes are so difficult. But Alex, I don't know if you saw anything in, in, different in person. Um, I thought this this was another pretty lackluster night for him. And when I predicted preseason that bench unit was going to be one of the best lineups in the league, it was because I thought Emmanuel quickly would be one of the best bench players in the league. And that just hasn't happened so far this year. Yeah, I can't really put my finger on it, but like he kind of, at least when I was watching the game, just kind of wasn't standing out at all, which is the worst thing you could possibly say about quickly because so much of his game is dictating the pace, making, you know, making key shots. Like there too. Like he's, yeah. he, he is supposed to be the guy who stands out, him and Obi. Yeah. Like he's, he's just supposed to do things that, that are, I don't want to say flashy, but that are impactful, you know, like that's been like the hallmark of his career so far. And there just wasn't much impact from him. And it, it something does seem off, like shooting has been the biggest thing. You know, I feel like if that comes around, we've seen in the past, like if the shot is falling for him, like everything else kind of falls into place. But right now he's just not a threat from like pretty much anywhere. And, you know, he's still, I still think the chemistry with him and Obi is there and that, that pops, but then even Obi had sort of an off shooting game in this game. And, but the, the difference is between IQ and Obi right now is that with Obi, we look at it and we're like, okay, that seems like an anomaly because he's been shooting yeah. 42% from three this year. Like I watched him in warmups, literally hit like, like 16 straight quarter threes before he missed one. Like, you know, like the guy is locked in, like it, this game was just an off game. I look at this one as like, okay, flash in the pan in a bad way, you know, like, Hopefully he'll be okay with quickly. It's now starting to turn into a trend where it's like the good games are starting to feel like the outliers and the bad games are starting to feel like the, the, you know, what, what he's doing right now, which is not good. Um, and I don't know what he has to do to fix it. If it's just a mentality thing or like what, but like, you can't even say that he's not getting minutes this year because like he is, he's getting minutes. He's getting opportunity. Like, I don't know what his minutes per game is at at this particular moment. I'm going to look it up because I'm curious. But like right now he is at yeah, 22. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, 22 minutes per game right now. I mean, it which is actually a little down from last year, but he's had plenty of games where if he's if he's playing well, he's playing like you know 30 minutes so far this year. Yeah. And so I almost can't fault Tibbs for not playing him a ton if he's not being impactful like that. And so yeah, I don't know. He's gotta he's gotta figure it out. Like he is getting the opportunities like we've always asked for to like run the offense with that bench unit and it's like a night to night thing, whether it's, whether it's popping or if it's not right now. And that's a little concerning. Yeah. I, I expect him to turn it around, but I, I, it has to start happening soon. Cause now we're, mm -hmm. we're, we're getting past the point of small sample size and into like, all right, who, who are you going to be this year? I, I mean, 10, 10 games is an eighth of the season, you know, yeah. like by, by the time we hit the next game, that's an eighth of the season. By the time we hit 20 games, that's a quarter. That's where I think 20 games, you know, if this is still persisting, by 20 games, that's where I'll start getting worried about any given thing. You know, like right. I, for all the faults of the Knicks past two head coaches, like both Fisdale and Tibbs always said that like the 20 game marker. And I think this is just kind of conventional wisdom in the NBA. Like the 20 game markers is where you start drawing your real conclusions about yeah. a season, you know, or a young season, you know. And so we've got 11 more games to start seeing some improvement out of quickly or else it's going to start getting a little concerning. Uh, I hope it doesn't get to that point. Yeah. On, on the flip side of that, I'm with you on Obi, not at all 
concerned about his shooting. I thought he did some really good stuff in this game. I mean, even w- when he got to play with that small lineup, I mean, e- even even this year when he's played with Hartenstein, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised at how infrequently they use OB as a roller. But he had one to this game where he dove to the rim and it drew Jalen Brown literally from the wing to be like, oh, crap, I got to get in there. Brown came shooting in. And then I think it might, I couldn't tell if it was Brunson or Rose, but one of them just, or I I don't remember, I should say, um, just swung it to Cam Reddish for a wide open three. And that, that was, I I think Obi should get those three points borderline or, or like 1.5 of them because that that's entirely on his gravity. He also completely toasted Marcus Smart on on a, on a fake DHO play that he always loves running Uh, defensive player of the year was left in the dust. And then he beat Noah Bonley on a pump fake and got right to the rim. And it, it just, it's to your point on this being fluky. It's clear that offensively, things are very easy for Obi Toppin when he's hitting threes. Like it's not it's not hard for him to be a great scorer. I think if he was starting games, he would he would be a twenty point guy a night right now in the NBA. Um, I am gonna end on this uh, a a somber point, a sad point. Uh, I don't think I don't think Evan Fournier, uh, barring injuries, um, which I guess Grimes is out right now, so maybe that's why he's in. But but when Quentin Grimes is back, I, I don't see any need for him to be in the rotation. I, I don't think it makes any sense right now. Um, you 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 noted a Schwinn stat earlier. I'll throw out another one. Um, our guy went through every two-man combo involving uh, Knicks rotation players this year, and out of every two-man combo on the team, Evan is the only player to not have one with a positive net rating, which is pretty incredible, given that some players on the Knicks like always seem to have ridiculously high net ratings. Like, like generally, you get five minutes on the floor with Obi Toppin, it's going to be a positive. Not the case for Evan Fournier this year. And I, I know we say wait till twenty games. Uh, to me, that paints. A pretty clear picture. And, and that, again, sounds overly harsh because I, I do think that like if he played consistently, there will be a 10-game stretch where he shoots 44% from three. And that covers up every other issue with him. But it's not worth it for the stretches where he's not being automatic from distance, and, and he hasn't been so far this season. Yeah, and he also hasn't seemed comfortable at all with anything on either side of the court, which is weird to me because I thought that we were seeing some good stuff in preseason that they were running for him, and then all of a sudden it hit – regular season and much like you know like rj shot when the regular season started and like a bunch of other stuff a lot of stuff that we saw that looked kind of promising in preseason just kind of like poofed away and all of a sudden you know fournier doesn't look like he knows where to be on the court anymore offensively or especially defensively he's way too handsy on defense he's just overall a detriment to like the knicks kind of have needed every little bit of help they can get especially with perimeter defense this year and he's not doing that right now i mean just i know single game plus minus is like you know it's not the most reliable stat in the world but i think this is pretty telling like you just mentioned like normally ob like it can always make you a positive or like quickly's minutes you know even if he's not making shots usually are relatively positive because of the impact they bring in whatever with fournier on the bench and playing fournier played 11 minutes uh off the bench in this game and anecdotally i think most of those were with quickly and top in fournier ends up in 11 minutes a minus 19 uh at which then obi ends up a minus 22 and quickly ends up a minus 16 uh in this game and rj barrett actually played a decent a decent number of minutes with that bench unit too and he ends up a minus 14 so not great uh he's he's like, I don't want to crap all over him because I like Fournier, but he's kind of actively harming the team when he's on the floor right now. And to your point, yeah, once Grimes is healthy, 
if you have Grimes and Reddish both at your disposal, why would why would you have Fournier play over either of those two guys when Reddish, even if he's not shooting now, is at least generating positive impact on the defensive end? So, uh, so again, somber note to end on, but I think that's all we got to say for this this game. Probably better to put this one in the rearview mirror and hope the Knicks don't give up 27 threes again at any point this season. Uh, but no promises, though, if the defense keeps playing the way it does. So, Till next time, though, thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you guys all soon. Peace.